Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy, I'm, I'm bleary-eyed uh, I, I, uh, from a virtual convention debut. Uh, last night, you know, the only thing that <laughs> the only thing that was missing was a Rahm Emanuel speech. Uh, that was what that's my only complaint. The first hour could have used it. I, I kept wanting to go over to a monk rerun. I was a little bored. But the second <laughs> hour when the audience showed up, so did the convention. About that, but first, let's welcome in just by coincidence. His honor. Look who's <laughs> here. It's Rahm Emanuel. So w- welcome back. I love it when you guys talk about me when I'm not here. <laughs> you, turn around for a second. I got something I have to tell Murphy. But, uh, Murphy, uh, you started down this road, so go ahead. Let's just take I'm everybody's you up, man. I'm teeing over, you up overall, the overall impressions. You, you didn't like the first hour, and you liked the second hour. Well, you know, overall impressions. I, I normally start with Cagney, but on this thing, first question <laughs> is, did anything change in the election? I would say no. Did the Democrats score? Yes, they scored huge with Michelle Obama, who was a well-known weapon and was well-deployed. You, you can tell she'd been practicing that speech in her head for a long time. To uh, Three and to, a half to make, years, to be yeah, exact. Yeah, no, no, exactly. In fact, it was probably har- harder to stop her from giving it a year ago. Uh, but anyway, she was good. It was, you know, we're talking about that. It, it's the CW, yeah. but it's right. She drew blood was a character attack on Trump, which is hard to do, but she had the standing and the and the persona to do it. Other than that, I will I will give one lesser kudo to it as well. The Amtrak ad was the best piece of produced video I've ever seen on Joe Biden because it did what the convention should do, which is tell me things about Biden in a way that I believe them. He's not just some Paul in the suit. He calls the conductor who became his friend when the guy had a heart attack. The guy really likes him. They're real friends. It was it was pure Biden. I thought it was expertly done. I'm sure the network's cut away to sell cornflakes, but it yeah, was tremendous no, I, political I, advertising. I, I, I agree with that. And uh, it's, it's important not just to give insights into Biden, but also to connect him up with this message that he is connected to working people who are struggling in this country uh, right now, Ram. You know, one of one of my concerns uh, going into this week is, you know, Democrats are so passionate about uh, flaying Trump. Seems to me one of the big missions this week is to lift up Biden, which is why that Amtrak piece was so important. What what, what was your sense of the whole deal last night? Well, what, I don't want to start disagreeing with Murph on one thing about the first hour, so I will say this. But no, I actually thought it did one other thing. In a very dark moment in America, there was joy. There was some happiness. And I think for everybody that's been confined, uh, with dep- not only in their home but and family, but also with some uh, bad news, either on the economy, pandemic, et cetera, I actually think they did a very good job of just reminding us there is joy in America. There is an America we all remember and kind of getting the crust off the top and seeing the real value in America. I agree with you that they connected what is not more than empathy, uh, that Joe understands the American people, their struggles, their challenges, their hopes, their aspirations for their family, their children, and make, and I think that's, you know, I'm not going to judge uh, one night and say, here's the four nights. Right. This is a complete uh, effort. And I think as a first night of uh, t- tying in and I think doing something more effective than just the economy 
if you, I think in the, every election all three of us have ever worked on, the driving centrifugal force of the election is the economy. This one, I think they have done a good job of pushing that to the side and replacing it with COVID, its impact on people's lives, its impact on America. And because COVID now is the bigger trigger on whether you think Donald Trump should get another four-year extension or we should replace him with Joe Biden. And I think starting that process of replacing the economy with COVID was exactly what they did because uh, this reveals more than just character about Donald Trump, his venality, uh, if that's well, a yeah. good word. I mean, what, 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 what I think was done well last night and um, by a number of speakers and, and certainly by Michelle Obama is not just to attack Trump's character, but to connect his lack of character to a cost to the American people, which is what we've seen during this COVID crisis. Unlike 2016, which was all just character, I think this is an important point that has to be drilled. It was character in lieu of your life getting adversely affected. Right. And that is the connection that missed in 2016 that I think Democrats are welding together. If you're if you missed your social security check, you missed your medicine through the uh, mail, Donald right, Trump. Right, right. If you can't make a payment on your rent or your mortgage because of what's happened to the economy or COVID, Donald Trump and his, and his Michigas. And that's a political term, not a yes, Yiddish term. That's it, yes. Yep. I'll explain <laughs> to you later, Murphy. And, and just a footnote that, again, I hate agreeing with Rom, but I've, I've been, you as get, you have. You're limited you've been, to two in this hour. I know, I know. We're going to limit it. <laughs> The I, that, this is what's so big about COVID. COVID broke the Washington bullshit show to real lives. And when Trump's a character on a TV show, R versus D, that's one level. But now it became real. The stakes went up. So I agree they hit a chord on that, which is the chord they want to hit. Yeah, so you can't, because you can't spin what people are living. You know, one of the most uh, powerful uh, moments of the night came in that first hour uh, when they were really featuring, you know, civilians, real people, and it was a young woman whose father had been a Trump supporter and he died uh, of COVID. He died alone in the ICU with a nurse holding his hand. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. And for that, he paid with his life. I think that, you know, along with Michelle's speech, which we'll get to in a second, that may be the most remembered line mm -hmm. from the whole first night of the convention, and it goes to what you guys are talking about. Uh, it really connects uh, Trump's character to, uh, to real human loss. So let me just comment on the architecture of last night that I thought was really smart. The first half that, Mike, you were less crazy about uh, was more venturesome, more risky, uh, a lot of uh, real people, it was the the video production which drives guys like you and people who are in our business nuts uh, was not uh, you know a broadcast uh, quality, but that but there was a social media kind of feel to the thing, which is how a lot of people communicate uh, these days. Uh, so you know, my only complaint was I thought Eva Longoria at the open there was uh, you know she looked like a, a someone playing a cable uh, interviewer and didn't really evince all that much interest in the people she was talking to. And that made it more, um, that, that did not work. But on the whole, they took a lot of risks and I think a fair number of them, uh, fair number of them worked. And as Ram said, it connected 
It connected the event to people in the country. It brought people in the country into the this virtual convention hall in a way we haven't seen before. So yeah, there were some bumps in the road, but I, I actually thought I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty effective. I hated it. <laughs> I'm the Grinch. Yeah. Part of it is a scar from my days in the labor movement, which may surprise you guys. But when I was on the Writers Guild picket line. We were outside a set uh, Eva was working on, Channing, rewrite the story is for Eva Longoria, and she she came out. I, I'll note, <laughs> she didn't stop working, and in the most awkward photo op her publicist ever <laughs> set up, she handed us some pizzas that she looked at like they wanted to make them throw up and then got away from the grubby writers as soon as she could. So so the whole world has to be part of your old grudge here? What the hell? Yeah, can, can, we, can we move on? Yeah, yeah, Irish grudge. No, no, no. I... I, I, Can we move on from your resentment and hatred. <laughs> resentment and man, come on, Rom. That's your your middle name. We're we're, we're united right. in that. Um, yes. So I'll wrap up by just saying I don't think it did any harm. I thought it was choppy. I thought there was a lot of social justice there, which might not have been the first yeah. gong to lure people into four nights. Uh, swing voters. I'm just talking about the politics of this. If you hate Donald mm-hmm. Trump, you had a hell of a night last night. But that's not, you know, conventions hopefully give you more than that. I think Michelle did think the Amtrak thing did. I thought the Republicans did okay, but uh, uh, let's see how all four nights work. I, I thought the first night was choppy, but again, hard to do in a pandemic where at your worst, you're just going to do the world's longest State of the Union response. And at its worst, it felt like that, but at its best, it had moments. Uh, you hate agreeing with me. I hate agreeing with Axelrod. So let me <laughs> say one thing, which is I actually think, you know, usually conventions just push out to America. I actually thought this did a pretty good job of bringing America into the party and into the country. So I actually think, you know, and I thought there was some authenticity. I'm okay with the choppiness. The, uh, pro- the production quality wasn't great. I'm, o- I'm okay with a little less uh, gloss and a lot more authenticity. I think the people that they projected, and I can't say enough, if you go back, and this is maybe I'm earning my Northwestern uh, master's degree here. Her words, her sentences. Were, you have a master's degree? At Kellogg and 50 cents. <laughs> I didn't know they had a college of arc welding, but keep going. Uh, my, yeah. I hope this is covered by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Uh, He's got a master's degree from Kellogg's of uh, Battle Creek. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Are we done now? Yes. Okay, yes. yes. I'm go a, ahead, and then I'll disagree with you. It's a great Jewish home. This is how we treat guests. Uh, no, sure, Her sentences are unbelievably economical. They're short to the point and lead up to this punch. And the punch is very clear. The only thing my dad did wrong was believe in it. And that is... That was a killer spot, man. It's, it is... You, if you put the three things that kind of stood out are four. Kasich, her speech in that line, Michelle, uh, as well as the uh, Amtrak ad. You have a person in Arizona who is competing with some really big people and uh, who played in politics. And she has the takedown. In my view, that was the takedown line. Just to be clear, I'm not criticizing the production values. Um, hell, half the stuff we do at our VAT is incredibly raw, right in the cell phones. You're right, it works. I thought some of the messaging in our one, and you know, I'm going to get hate mail, so send it all to David Axelrod or Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> I didn't love the thing. I, uh, I mean, it moved me because I felt her pain. But I've seen focus groups, and again, maybe I'm tainted, where people don't like the Trump as a murderer thing. They think it's, and her anger mm-hmm. was so much understandable anger. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't think that was quite the home run review it's getting, but I'm definitely a contrarian. 
Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Neither of you guys mentioned Bernie, who I thought actually did a pretty good job yeah. for, uh, for Biden last night. Well, what does Bernie know that we don't know about the world lumber supply? That's what I was thinking during most of it. But I thought he did great all Biden could have asked from, for him from. So yeah. team player award to Bernie. So let me ask you a question about that, Mike. You know, uh, Scott Jennings, who I like a lot, was uh, a commentator on CNN last night. He, he, he is a, a, a Republican consultant out of Kentucky, close to McConnell. And, you know, he did what you would expect, which is to say, you know, just having Bernie Sanders up there affirming uh, Biden makes him, you know, by association makes Biden a socialist and it advances the Republican message. But I thought Bernie was pretty careful to make clear that he and Biden didn't agree on yeah. a lot of things and that this was about something bigger than their their ideological disagreements. It was about the fundamental kind of stability of democracy. Yeah, I mean, if if Biden was such a communist, why did Bernie run against him? You know, I, I that's the spin they got to have. But that's like, you know, saying the real problem with Donald Trump is he appeared once with Jeb Bush. You know, it's just it uh, to me, it didn't didn't have a lot of energy. I thought Bernie did great. And Bernie energized the Bernie people who I think are all for Biden. But it sure didn't hurt last night to see their champion getting right, put his shoulder right behind the wheel. 
Yeah, AOC is speaking tonight. At, she's nominating Bernie, and my guess is she's going to follow suit and do a lot of what Bernie did last night. The one nice thing about, I mean, when you compare to 2016 when they booed Bernie supporters, booed a general, etc., not having a convention doesn't permit that kind of, I think, dissonance. Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. Bernie Sanders, I mean, Biden's people are very, very clear, and I think this gets to the core of this election. The one thing you say about Trump, he has depth. Among his voters, there's a deep well. Biden has breath. He has a coalition that includes four-star generals and uh, people protesting on the street. That's a very broad coalition. And I think that in this, so far, having Kasich and Bernie both say, we don't agree with him 100% of the time. But on the, uh, uh, you know, life is a set of choices. And he is, as a person, as well as a set of policies, as well as a set of professional qualities, he is a much better choice than Donald Trump. And having that broad, uh, you know, the goal of a party is to build a big tent, not something that you pick up on the showroom at REI. And I think he did that. I think last night worked that way. I think the headline of what you just said, and maybe of the whole show, is you said Donald Trump has depth. And people rarely say that. So he, Look, among his, no, I know, yeah, I know you, he, man. I'm just, I'm just... Co- I'm just, well, just. I, I get sensitive when you're like so critical of I mean, because the words <laughs> go right over your head. But you're right that the advantage of this format is there's greater control. You don't have the kind of disruptions that you would normally have on the floor. Uh, the party appears uh, uh, unified. The trade-off is, you know, you don't get the energy uh, necessarily for speeches. And those speeches that are given from behind podiums, feel a little tinny uh mike without uh without an audience there drama is conflict and when you have a stadium full of some left-wing kooks who like to boo it's not great for the convention manager but it's better television because you have conflict but pandemic me it's not better for the public you know, well yeah i mean look these things are commercial that were kind of dying to begin with so this is going to be a significant year because it was the transition to a pure tv show and, you know, this, the future may look like this more with some crowd because crowds do bring energy, but they also bring, as you guys are saying, some risk, but it does make for more compelling viewing because something might happen. Otherwise you get the yeah. tractor report from behind a podium. And there was a fair amount of that <laughs> last night, though. I am happy yeah. to say that my old home state, Michigan now has an aspiring insult comic, a good one, a blue one with Gretchen Whitmer, who I thought gave a great speech, but her outtake is now burning up the internet, and it's pretty funny. Well, well I didn't see that. What'd she do? Well, this is a family podcast, David, and again, I'm a fan. I would prefer her <laughs> yes. as VP. The to, Adams to the family. Current, the current <laughs> choice. She did the old Reagan, we begin bombing in five minutes on the satellite feed, forgetting that the Harry Shears of the world are all listening in, and they love to, love to put it out. <laughs> it happened to me once on Meet the Press when I was criticizing Palin. Though, you know, I did it out in the open, too. But anyway, she said, uh, it's Shark Week. It's expletive. I don't want to hurt Rom's gentle ears. Mother effing Shark Week. And so the, the recount, our friend said. Oh, is that right? Bit, yeah. Check the Twitter thing the kids like. Well, that gets back to my point. It was an authentic show <laughs> yesterday. So, the, the, so here's the thing, though. Maybe the answer is not to try and replicate the kind of trappings of a convention by putting people behind a podium. Michelle Obama gave an 18-minute talk last night. It wasn't a speech. It was a talk. It was a fireside chat. It's probably the longest segment anyone is going to have other than Biden himself. And she completely 
carried it off. Now, she's a world-class communicator. She's a world-class communicator in part because she's not a politician. The truest line she spoke in a bunch of truths yes. last night was that, yeah, and you and I know this, Ram, she does hate politics, and she doesn't speak like a bullshit politician with all due respect to you. She doesn't speak uh, in political terms. You know, she speaks in a very accessible language, friend to friend. And, uh, man, I thought she just killed it. Can we just listen to the money line that in her takedown of, uh, of Trump? So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Man, that was that last line was just such a dagger, taking his line about the deaths as a yes. result of COVID and just throwing it back at him. Murphy uh, critique that. Well, I, I don't have one. Look, I, I am not, and I'm, my wife's going to slug me later. I'm not a huge Michelle fan. I'll admit that. But it doesn't matter. Uh, a, a, millions of people in America are. She's a pop culture figure. And she did what a lot of people with her standing don't normally want to do in politics, which is go for the throat of somebody. But she did it in an honest and authentic way. I think it resonated. And I think it was a home run for the Dems. So I can't really, I mean, look, I'm, uh, you know, they're quibbling things, but it doesn't matter. They played the Michelle card. They cashed in the brand. And it was really, really strong. You know, for all of us that have served in public life, our spouse's view is there's only one person can take down my partner, and that's me. And she's been practicing that line for three and a half years. You can use, you, you know, I think in that point, and I think one of the things when you look at the demographic, college educated women, regardless yep. of where they live, Michelle, it's not just that she's broadly very popular, but with yep. that group, she is right. There's energy in there, and she yeah. gave them the cue and the permission slip. That, you know, you can hope, you can pray, you can wait, but this ain't turning around. And if you want that, you know, remember, elections come down, re-elections come down to one point. You can, all this clutter, move it away. Change or stay the course. And she said, folks, four more years of this, we're not going to recognize each other. And I thought that was just right to it. She's talking to everybody, but she particularly was reaching yes. the 12 million people who bought her books, probably like 15 now. The people who filled the arenas. But it's that college-educated women. that That's the key. Cause, yeah, that's well, who they already, are. Trump's already in trouble there, including Republican college-educated women in the suburb. That's why he's losing. And she literally backed up the cement mixer and poured concrete down his throat. So it's going to be very hard to ever get air back in. And it was really kind of a coup de grace. Yeah. Remember, if you're listening or watching or whatever, you're now in the point. This is mid-August. You're filling out your kids' school report to get them back into school. You are Your entire life has been upended, and let alone you've been in a house confined for four and a half to five months with your dearest and loved people that you want to strangle. <laughs> and you're saying, and no, I mean, you, these are parents now preparing to get their kids back yeah. to school, and it's more complicated mm -hmm. than ever. Yeah. You can't figure all these pieces out. How are you going to get the work done? And she just said, sisters, this ain't changing, no, man. It's like friend to friend. Unless we man. change this guy, our lives aren't changing. That just like a knife right to the side. The other thing, uh, apropos of the point I made before, I want to play a little of this her section about Joe Biden, because 
I don't, I don't think it got any. Uh, it didn't get a lot of attention in the in the uh, reviews because her takedown of Trump was so deft and so powerful. But to me, this was an important piece of business. Her testifying to Joe Biden. If we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. Great line. She went on to talk about, obviously, some of the travails, the horrible tragedies that Biden has endured and the resilience that he's shown in the face of that and used it to broaden out and say he will help us get off our backs and back into uh, the game. And um, I just think you can't do enough of this for Biden in this convention. You know, you look at these polls and about a third of people say they're voting for Biden and 57, 60 percent say they're voting against Trump. You want to come out of this convention. And Ram, you were talking about this before. Uh, before we start rolling, you want to come out of this convention, moving that number up a little. You want people to be more enthusiastic about Biden and more confident mm-hmm. about him as a potential president, uh, not just, uh, you know, uh, not just motivated by antipathy uh, to Trump. And I thought that's part of her speech didn't get a lot of attention, but I think it's very, very important. And you're going to hear more of that from Barack Obama and others as we move on. I think that this thing is that, look, no challenger has gone into a convention, whether it's nine, eight, 11, whatever number you want to use, this high up. I mean, Bill Clinton, people forget this, went in in 92. He was in third place. So he had nowhere else to go but up. I think the real measure after the four days won't be, did he get a bounce? That's old CW in the same way that the convention, a normal convention is old CW. The real measure here will be, did he get people from anti-Trump to pro-Biden? Did he take certain constituency like women with a college degree, et cetera, and have an energy that goes beyond breath into a little more depth in there? And then to me, all of us have to switch and start looking post this convention. And I think what Michelle hit on, and my guess is this you're going to see much, much more of this, is that, and this is the point, two words that I would say, well, there will be an emphasis on the word empathy, endurance, and resilience will be attributes that you start hearing more and more about Biden because they're not only about him, they're actually about what people believe we're going to need as a country. And having a leader with those qualities can be somewhat projected onto the country as we both endure and have a resilience in the face of challenges. Experience and competence as well. I mean, she set him up as the at the absolute counterpoint to well, yeah, Donald you, you want to be the anti-Trump, which means you want to have a heart and a soul and you want to be able to tie your shoes and do something and run a team and maybe even fight a pandemic. So I agree they set that stuff up. It's so important because there's a lot of signals coming out of Republican land now, and I, I recognize them all because I used to do this. They 
they're because they can't control Trump. They've given up. They got a madman with a Twitter account, but they can't control the machinery. So the Republican machinery is going back to playing the hits, which they've known since third grade how to do tax and spend crazy on immigration going to give free health care to immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all coming. The, the convention next week, I think, will be even less adroit technically than the Democratic one. But the content is going to be pure, old-school, face-ripping, you're a liberal. And Dems tend to scoff at that, but we've sold a lot of those tickets over the years. By filling in Biden, it, where his supply lines now are ahead of him in terms of fire Trump as opposed to who's Biden. If they fill that in, they're going to build some insulation against what's coming. Because the Democratic convention has yes. to define Biden before they pull an axelrod and go define uh, <laughs> uh, Biden is defined by Trump. So I think that's even more important than beating on Trump because Trump is beat up. They want to fire him. That's the easy part. Yeah, I agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Here's the one thing I would say. If you deal with empathy and experience and get a broad section like Michelle, Bernie, and Kasich. I actually think your traditional old hits will feel exactly like that, old hits. And nobody in this, at least on this podcast right now, uh, we have been both the victims as well as people that have repulsed those hits. I actually think em empathy will trump literally those because there, there's what's missing about Donald Trump at this moment. Experience will actually trump those hits because I actually what's missing right now is somebody that knows how to run a one-car parade. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. This morning, and, you know, Trump's going to try and interdict here wherever he can uh, to... Uh, kind of change the storyline of the week. Um, they threw out a video, a viral video, you know, showing clips of Biden in 2016 and taking the most unflattering clips they could find from 2020, you know, to to paint the picture of a guy who's lost it. And it, it ends in, you know, what happened to Joe, to Joe Biden. I mean, it is incredible when you, I mean, imagine Murphy, what you could do and probably have in your diabolical uh, Arvats workshop, but what you could do with clips of Trump. Oh, yeah. No, no. It, 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 it's incredible. I, I don't see how the Trump people think crazy is a competitive advantage for them uh, as an attack. <laughs> uh, and I can tell you they're stressed because Trump talks like a crazy donor. We've, we've all in this world dealt with finance world. We have to suffer <laughs> yeah. some idiots. And Trump talks like some Republican idiot donors. I've known. Does that mean I have to speak up for the donor class here at some point? You're already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Ron knows more about this than anybody. Uh, but my point is the campaign's going to grind off the data, and the Biden is crazy data is not as good as scare the suburbs. Biden's going to triple your taxes and run amok on the usual stuff. The good thing about Rahm is that, and this is to his credit, like he called his donors idiots even as he was raising money from them which is a hard thing I to do. I said it with love and affection. You, you, you were honest, you were authentic, and you picked their pockets anyway. And everybody admires you for it. And I just want to be on the record about that. Kasich, you know, I thought part of the good architecture that the Democrats pulled off last night was in the same hour, they had um, 
a cavalcade of old Mike Murphy clients, both uh, Whitmans. Uh, I've, I've cornered uh, the Whitman Todd business Whitman in and, the Republican uh, Party. I've, I've got a stranglehold. <laughs> and on. Meg Whitman, Susan Molinari, a former Republican co- uh, colleague of yours, Ram. She must have been there when you were there, right? Not in the House. She was there when I was in the Clinton White House. And then culminating in John Kasich. And other than the weird sort of drone or crane shot at the beginning where he was standing at this crossroads. I actually thought that was the physical presence of Yogi Berra saying, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. That was what they were trying to do. I I thought it was kind of weird. And also, and I'm not one to criticize people's sartorial stuff, but his pants were hiked up way yeah, high too. No, no, so he, he looked like he looked like a guy who was lost. No, he, he looked like a boat salesman. But fan, they got to a tight shot, and he <laughs> sold his stuff. Once they got down to ground level, Kasich is really, really good direct to camera, and I thought he did a very good job for Biden. Let Let's hear the, a little bit of that. I'm a lifelong Republican, but that attachment holds second place to my responsibility to my country. That's why I've chosen to appear at this convention. In normal times, something like this would probably never happen. But these are not normal times. I'm proud of my Republican heritage. It's the party of Lincoln, who reflected its founding principles of unity and a higher purpose. But what I have witnessed these past four years belies those principles. You know, there was a little bit of a debate over uh, at CNN. uh, And I know Chris Christie was very... um, uh, emphatic about uh, Kasich last night on your broadcast over at ABC, where I'm saying this isn't going to make any difference at all, and so on. But I think that's I think that was a lot more hope than reason that analysis. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't I don't see a big parade of Republicans marching across, but it does give people a permission structure. But more than that, one of the things if you if you poll on Biden, one of the things that I think polls very well is his ability to reach across party lines, his ability to work with people. Folks are yearning for that right now. And, uh, you know, having a John Kasich stand up and say, I don't agree with him, uh, but I but I believe in him as a person uh, and as someone who will honestly try and work with people. I think that's a really important message, Murphy. Well, yeah. Look, one out of four habitual Republicans, not primary voters, but people who nine out of 10 times will pull a Republican lever in a presidential race have private doubts about Trump. We know that from a ton of our VAT data. And if we can peel 15% of them off and hold Trump down to the mid to low 80s among Republicans, not the normal mid to high 90s, it'll break them in the swing states. So we just got to lure those folks out. And I thought, Kasich, look, he has limited grip on the party. He's a wine and cheese Republican. But he did give some permission, and he sent a big dog whistle, which is Biden's not going to run a communist outfit here. Uh, and that that lets a little air out. And so I thought Kasich and Whitman and Whitman uh, and Susan all did good because there were a couple of them. It wasn't just some governor making a deal. The other thing is, think about it historically. For the governor of Ohio, a popular two-term governor who was, you know, only out of office, what, 18 months ago, whatever it was, for for him to show up as a keynoter at a Democratic convention, that just shows that he felt okay doing that, the fractures in the structure in the Republican Party where there is an anti-Trump rebellion, and it's hurting him. There's two things I would uh, note, David. One, and Murph, on this, your point about what people like about Biden, 
the very things that they like about him for the general election, that he can work with people of both parties. He doesn't kind of make it vulnerable in elect. the primary. Vulnerable. That was the number one criticism. How dare you even talk to the other side? It is actually now the calling card, which is why we positioned ourselves in this primary with the best general election candidate we had. And then the second thing, I do think, if you know, you know, Trump is trying to repeat 1968. I really do think this is a 1980 moment. We may be seeing the great reshuffling of the coalition. And while this could be just a transactional Biden Republicans and the permission slip, if Biden gets elected, and if Biden actually and his administration do what they can do, this could be a transformational moment because I don't think Donald Trump is leaving the Republican Party. I think it's going to be hard getting him out of the Oval. I think he's going to be a factor. And I think when it comes to science, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to appreciation of other people and listening to countervailing ideas and not always attacking somebody else's character, those type of what Merv called correctly wine and cheese Republicans, which have been voting more and more than their neighbors have for Democrats, they're going to not just get a permission slip for one election. I think there's a chance that they be say, you know what, this ain't working for me. And we just got to decide. I think as a party, it's smart for the Biden team to say, we are a big tent party. Well, you know, one, one thing that I think you can be sure of, and, and Trump was out there yesterday saying what, I mean, I've been saying that th this is so predictable. I mean, he's been setting it up forever. Donald Trump will never, ever concede an election. He, it's either he wins or it's rigged, and he's pre-spinning it, as he did, by the way, in 2016. But, you know, there will, Donald Trump is not going away. This is going to be your headache uh, Murphy. <laughs> you know, I'm contrarian on this. I think you could very well be right, but I think there's a fairly good chance that he'll go to Palinville. And after the star burns out and the party's destroyed and the left has power in America, he'll hang on to some grievance. He may run his kid, but I think the rotten fish will have a stink. We'll see. He's going to go right from uh, the White House over to OAN or wherever. And he's going to set up camp and he's yeah. going to run the resistance from there. And uh, that, you know, because he is a grievance politician, it is a necessary element of his story that the presidency was stolen from him. He needs it. It's going to be the jet fuel to propel him to the next phase. Oh, no, I, I think that's his, his rhetoric. I, I agree on all his psychology, all his plans. But the psychology of Trump power in the party may erode a lot more than you guys think. We're seeing it's going to be a civil war and somebody will win or lose. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Before we get to the mailbag, I, I want to take up one other thing, and that is this whole post office uh, deal. I had, uh, uh, by the way, and you you may grimace mike but i'm going to i'm going to do a cheap promotion my 400th episode of the axe files thursday with uh, nancy pelosi speaker pelosi sat down with her yesterday talked about this whole thing and i and because we have ram here i wanted to play this clip and just i want to talk about the larger issue politically but also about the strategy that she's employing now master strategist that she is there are people who want this bill to be heaped with this that and the other thing uh, and I said, if you do that, the Republicans won't vote for it. And we want them to vote for it. We, are, we take this patriotic responsibility very seriously. So let's make it as easy as possible for the Republicans to vote for it. 
by not adding things that relate to one thing and another, but just to have it focused on the Postal Service. I'm just going for what we need to do to protect the Postal Service. I think it will get strong bipartisan support, and then they'll have to answer for whether they are, are going to help the Postal Service or not. We want them to do so. We want this to go to the president. We want it signed. If they don't, I think they do take that course of action to their peril. That's the X-Files, available on all podcast platforms. <laughs> Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> but, Ram, but Ram, first of all, you must have heard a million, a million kinds of conversations like that with Pelosi where people wanted to load up a bill, and she had a strategy. Is it a good strategy here? I mean, do you think that she can force uh, the Republicans to take up this bill and pass it? Yes, I think that, uh, you know, I still think there's a one correction, and you and I have talked about this. I, you know, between now and October when ballots go out, you have 45, 50 days. And I would talk about what's present. You're not getting your medicine right. through the mail. She did talk so, about sorry, that, yeah. Yeah, and I, the other thing, 350,000 veterans from the Veterans Administration, that to me is what's core here. Yeah. And if you don't get, and so I would say she's going to keep this, if Nancy said it, I guarantee there's a lot of people, people being pulled back. There'll be plenty of other trains leaving the station. We'll put that over there. We'll put that in here. We'll tuck yeah. it in here. This one is coming like it's coming like vanilla ice cream, Clean. and that's hard for Nancy because yeah. she loves chocolate. <laughs> so I, uh, I mean, she likes really dark, rich chocolate. So she's gonna like we're gonna put it in a nice little thing. Nobody can cough. Nobody can sneeze. Nobody can get upset. Here it is. And if you don't want to eat this, you're gonna choke on it. Well, this episode is gonna need a DNC disclaimer, <laughs> but on this one, I can tell you behind the scenes the Repubs are going crazy. It is a magnificent clean hit for the Democrats. And even in the evil Arvat workshop, I'm working on some spots for Florida about this, and they're not hard to do. I can't believe the R's are going to let this thing hang into September because it's murder. Um, they're going to take away your veteran medicine. They're going to take away your government checks. They're going to, although, you know, we're, here's proof that we're all old. Most Social Security is now EFT. There are very few checks, but that uh, it's political advertising, as you guys know. The other guy can run a spot about that. Huge vulnerability. When I commented on this the other day, I got a, a, a tweet from a guy who, and this struck home with me because of my daughter's epilepsy, who uh, said that his son's seizure medication was a, a week late. This is a big deal. And I'm telling you, man, if you, you take a few testimonials like that, and say Donald Trump is holding up my son's medicine for his politics. Exactly. That is a brutal, brutal hit. 350,000 veterans get their medicine through the mail. Put a couple veterans in front and let that hold. Yeah. You know this, Murph. Yeah, and look, from the pure politics of it, not, no, no, I, look, what I'm saying is it's a killer issue, and I can't believe the Republicans are going to be dumb enough to keep it in play. As somebody who wants to defeat Trump, Although I worry for those families, I would love to have this issue on October 1st because you can destroy them with it in a lot of yeah, states and Trump's I already mean, in trouble with older voters alone, let alone the other groups affected. Older voters, rural voters. Yeah. You know, this This is not, I don't, I don't understand. Right. And the party's not with him. I can tell you. He's off on a tangent here. And my guess the, is the he congressional made, that's right. committee, the, the senators, everybody's going batshit behind the scenes because they know. He is giving Nancy and the Dems a laser sword. 
as Rama has seen many times, she recognizes that and she is creating that wedge, you know. Do you notice between criminology, when they used to do uh, criminology over in the Kremlin, having studied Pelosiology here, notice what she said. She said, we want to have make sure that they have no objection. She's just talking about the Senate and the Republican Party. She didn't mention the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue. She's doing her own triangulation. We're going to get them online and we're going to isolate the guy in the weird office on 1600. She was very clear. She wasn't talking about the president and the Republicans. Just the other chamber, no objections, clean box, little bow on it. We're going to send it to you. And my get, and I'll guarantee you this. Everybody in the Democratic Party and a, and a quarter of the Republican Congressional Caucus are going to see this for what it is, and they're going to vote for it. When she said, I, I think this will get strong bipartisan support, I don't think that was conjecture on her part. I think she, she knows what she's doing. Particularly the senators who have a, are the majorities in real trouble, they're looking for a way to put on their distant shoes. So this thing will come flying out of the House. It's going to pass the Senate. McConnell right now is letting the White House know, tell the president he's going to be alone because we're not going to do the bonsai charge on this friggin' thing. We're already losing our caucus. They're putting on their running away shoes, not their walking away shoes. So Trump's going to be alone on this. My guess is smoother heads will prevail or, you know, it's going to be yet another political disaster for the Republicans, but beyond Trump. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Here's a bulletin. The Senate the Intelligence Committee report, bipartisan. Marco Rubio is the acting chair of the committee. The Trump campaign's chairman's contacts with Kremlin-linked officials posed a, quote, grave counterintelligence threat, according to the f- final volume of the Senate Intelligence Committee's report into Russian interference in 2016, uh, which also found that some of the campaign's other Russia con- Russian contacts had closer ties to Moscow's government and intelligence services than previously reported. This is a really inconvenient report for Trump at a time when he's touting the whole conspiracy to get him uh, and trying to downplay uh, Russian interference. Yeah, it'll jam up the cable chatter now on that topic. But I'm of the view that none of that stuff moves the needle in Macomb County. I think it's going to be COVID screwing up the post uh, office so my right. UAW paperwork won't get to me for my retirement. And you're taking away drugs and you're blowing up the economy. And I got a headache from you. Change the channel. It will jam up the turf between Trump's left ear and his right ear. <laughs> That's true. A barren desert, which is often open <laughs> for jamming up. <laughs> Actually, I think in the short term, um, you know, you have nobody, everybody has an opinion on Russia's influence in 2016. And if you're either for or against, you're there. I actually think this is going to be helpful for Biden in the debates. I would fast forward. You now have a bipartisan report, not just, you know, he's done his damage on the intelligence committee, on the intelligence community, whether it's really independent, whether they're just a bunch of political hacks. This is a bipartisan report with a Republican majority. I actually think it's a footnote for Biden in the debates. That's where this is going to be a great foil. You know, I hate this because I have to agree with you again, but it's right because it gives oh, Joe. Out loud, you guys, why don't you guys just get married? Yeah, yeah, get a room. It gives him <laughs> a great double punch because now he's got two things. Republicans say 
the Russians were up to the neck in your campaign. And when they put a bounty on the lives of American soldiers, you didn't do shit, Mr. President. You know, that's all he needs. And he's got it now. I hate this, but I can't imagine in Little Rock in 1992, if I told all the campaign staff, look, I'm going to go over to Europe, I'm going to meet a bunch of Israelis and talk about the campaign, that he wouldn't have raised red flags. The idea that these people were going and meeting and talking to Russian officials, that nobody in the apparatus said, hey, what are you doing, tells you how high up the kind of coordination and effort was in meeting and uh, talking to the Russians. That I can't imagine not a single red flag uh, of let alone moral, ethical, or political, went off anywhere. It's always shocking to me. Yeah, all that stuff out the window with Trump. It's unbelievable. This may complicate Trump's uh, pronounced uh, desire to uh, have a summit with uh, Putin between now and November. I might advise against that if I were his Well, campaign. he's already booked a honeymoon suite at the Trump uh, Vegas <laughs> Hotel, but yeah, it's going to break his heart. Hey, speaking of the post office, I'm going for the Awkward Transition Hall of Fame. It's time for the mailbag. It's listener mailbag. If you have a question for the hack, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to please rate us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. Okay. From Marcus for Axelrod. Here it is. Ax, since you were part of several DNCs, who has the final say and who gets picked to speak at these conventions? Well, first of all, let me say the campaign is ultimately uh, going to make those or, or will make those decisions. But it's a really interesting question right now because while the public may appreciate the fact that these speeches are way shorter than they've ever been before, and there are fewer speakers or certainly fewer political speakers than ever before, this has created enormous angst and <laughs> anger among politicians all over America what? who craved egos? their huh? three or five or ten minutes uh, on the convention stage staring out at people in funny hats and so on, and they, they're not going to get it. So my hat, my hat is off uh, to my, my friend, the brilliant Stephanie Cutter, who's done such a good job organizing this convention uh, for the Democratic National Committee, starting with nothing in the middle of the pandemic, not knowing whether it was going to be live or, 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 uh, or virtual. And uh, more lately, uh, Adisu uh, uh, Demesi, who is the uh, uh, Biden representative uh, running the convention, they're the ones who have to deal with the aggrieved politicians. Uh, but the Biden campaign is, uh, is the one that made the final, are the ones who would make the final calls on speakers. Well, it's A, the speaker, and B, what they say. The Biden people. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, you you know, the thing is, you always have to balance the debts you think you are owed to the bigger piece of business, uh, the, yeah. the, the debts you think you owe to the bigger piece of business, which is message. Are these people advancing the message? And what you want to do is minimize the debts that you pay off yeah. by giving people spots who who really don't help you, and maximizing the people who do. Uh, help you. And, you know, this format gives you a, a little bit of opportunity to control that more. Yeah. But there's lot, also a lot more opportunity when you get the superstars. I mean, I was involved in the negotiations with Arnold, who was my client to speak at the Bush convention. And it, we had an approved speech, but we got there and all of a sudden they wanted to change everything 48 hours out. 
and we, we wanted to help. We had our Arnold brand in California to protect. And, you know, they had their agenda and wanted to be helpful. So it got to the point where they threatened to change the prompter. And to his Hollywood chop, Schwarzenegger said, I don't need a prompter. <laughs> I memorized the goddamn thing. And it's the speech you're going to get. Or I got a plane. And I like flying. Well, that reminds me of 2012 when I was in charge of working with President Clinton. We gave him 24 minutes. He said it wasn't enough. We gave him 27 minutes. An hour before the speech, he sent me a 27-minute speech. And I didn't realize that he had memorized the other 27 minutes. <laughs> and uh, he ended up giving a 55-minute speech. It was a great speech. It was gold for you guys. It was it a worked. great speech. Every minute was worth it. But he, uh, to use Ram's favorite phrase, he definitely slipped the goods through customs. Hey, John asks, I wonder if Dems are getting ahead. And this is for you, Murphy. I wonder if Dems are getting ahead of ourselves when we close our eyes and dream of down-ballot sweeps. Mike. What's your latest thinking on how soft R's conservative never Trumpers are approaching voting uh, the rest of their ballots? Well, Dems always get ahead of themselves. It's one <laughs> of the great Republican secret weapons. But there's a big controversy in the never Trump kind of leadership world. All we troublemakers. And if you go to the Bulwark, which is a, a online news source, some great podcasts too. I have a piece about this making actually the argument for a one-vote Senate majority. Not that I'm completely convinced myself, but there's an argument for it. You can check that out. I would say in voter land, forgetting all these generals uh, in, in the, you know, barking orders and arguments at each other, the same suburban, soft GOP and independent college-educated voters who are killing Trump are hurting Republicans, particularly in the Senate races where you don't have the glue with the local congressman or, frankly, the safe district. So you're, I think you're going to see underperformance among Republicans all the way down the ticket uh, by suburban Republicans, but it'll it'll easily be worse at, at the Trump president level because of his personality flaws. Remember that most people who vote Republican are right or center ideologically. So the Biden campaign and those Senate campaigns, if they want them, they're going to have to send dog whistles. Because if they think it's going to be the AOC show, the Trump attacks will resonate and they're not going to get as many as they could. Well, plainly they don't based on what we saw last night. Right. That's the first hint. But, you know, I'm going to tune into AOC tonight. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Hey, Vanessa Rahm asks uh, about the aforementioned Speaker Pelosi. If Biden wins, do you think Nancy Pelosi will step down? If she did step down, who do you think would be in contention for Speaker? No, I think uh, Nancy will not step down. I think she will serve a minimum another term uh, because I think, uh, well, I think already Nancy Pelosi obviously is a historic figure, not just because of uh, being the first woman speaker. I think she will go down with Henry Clay, Sam Rayburn as one of the great uh, speakers of the House. She made history the first time she became speaker and because of uh, the health care. And I think she plans on, uh, with a Biden presidency, also etching in more policy historical accomplishments and making her oil painting, oil painting that will hang in the hall a very big and bold one and well-deserved. And for all, I, I, can't, I can't ignore this, David, as you know, because I'm petty and small. To all the people who said, oh, we need a new face, we need a better message, right. et cetera. And those of us that said, no rookie need apply. Nancy Pelosi has been the thin blue line between Donald Trump yeah. and absolute chaos. And I am so happy she's there. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I was going to comment on that. Just a few years ago when she was the Democratic leader in the minority, there was all this grumbling. And uh, I mean, I, I told her on the, on the podcast, I, I, I brought this up 
on my last Axe Files with her, and she handed me my head, and I walked around headless for a week uh, after that. And you know what she said? She said, I, I always knew where my members were. And of course, that is the hallmark of, of who she is. Now people can't imagine the world without her. I mean, Democrats are, what are you talking about? You, she's got to be there. So Let me say this about Nancy. She's very generous of spirit, but don't worry. She also doesn't forget who said that. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I always used to say to President Obama, she is more D'Alessandro than she is Pelosi. <laughs> and for viewers, that is a, a relative of hers, <laughs> a famous Baltimore ward healer, municipal politician. And she Mayor, is totally yeah. old school. I sat behind yeah. her on a plane across the country once and listened to her work the phone for a little while. And it, it was 1958 in Baltimore. <laughs> her dad we'll see how the rest of the week goes rom always good to have you stay out of trouble there in new york and okay. uh i'll see you back home i have my middle daughter with me it was well be uh, all keeping an eye on you huh murph thanks for limiting it to only three times a green I yeah really that's about all i can have about. <laughs> all right the excellent rom emmanuel has uh has scurried out of the studio on to make trouble in new york but we have a bit of news axe should we share it with the uh, hackaroos out there i think we should we're going to do some extra shows. We're amping up Hacks on Tap for the big election, starting Friday with Mr. Robert Gibbs, who's going to take the helm of our second episode every week. And we'll have a rotating cast of Hackaroos, including Dr. Axelrod and myself. So uh, starting probably late this Friday, because we, we cut these in the morning, and then we have to edit all the profanity out from Axelrod. <laughs> it should pop up for your weekend listening pleasure, and we'll be up to two a week going forward. Yeah, too much to cover in one in one show. So happy to have Gibbs aboard and some of your other favorite hackaroos. So we're looking forward to that. Okay. I think that wraps it up for today. We'll get a uh, last call in next week. Thanks, pal. All right, brother. 